Ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Wheatley, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you having me. Um, I want to start off by giving a little bit of a background on how we got to this. Um, so about a week ago, I had this epiphany that I have really good conversations with real estate agents and real estate professionals all the time. And sometimes I wish there was a camera in the room or a way to record those because then I'll be talking to someone else who could really benefit from that conversation. Um, and, and I don't have a way to do that. So I call you and I say, hey, Matt, let's have one of those conversations that we have um, often enough. Uh, but let's do it in front of cameras and microphones. And you agree to it. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, you agree to it, which is amazing. Um, so I want to jump right in it. And there's something really interesting about you and the way you run your business. Um, you are a broker owner, a very young broker owner at that. Um, and so I want to hear a little bit about how did you decide to become your own broker? What's your trajectory been like? Okay, so I really, my mom started her own brokerage in 99. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always had training from her, but where I got to where I am today, I got licensed in 2007. My mom wanted me to come work for her. She was doing really well. Um, as I got started, the market kind of took a turn for the Yeah, worst. you were probably the last guy licensed before the market crashed. One of them, probably. And I was pretty young at the time, too. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, my passion was other elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually went and did uh, uh, car school. So I went into auto mechanics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that for a little while. I got a job at a dealership that was like an hour away. I enjoyed doing it. I, could, I kind of saw that my ceiling in there was this guy that's been in the business for 25 years and he's grumpy and he's still turning wrenches mm -hmm. and he still has to be there all day and um, it didn't really want that for myself. Um, so I transferred to a place here. Uh, I still did the same thing, but it was like a transition, like what am I gonna do? And at the local shop that I worked at, they saw something in me that they wanted to put me in front of people. They mm -hmm. said, "Your people can talk to you easily. And uh, they turned me into a, uh, a service advisor. Mm -hmm. So because of my knowledge of cars, I was able to go to the 50-year-old lady and say, hey, you need, you need brake pads and show them to her and and say, you know, I'm not trying to sell you brake pads. You need them for safety. Yeah. And so that, that happens sometimes. Like often the very technical people mm -hmm. are not very personable and the very personable people don't have depth of knowledge to be technical. And they saw that as like you had both going well, they, for you. Because of the school, yes, and I guess I am kind of a hands-on person too, but they they saw that in me. I didn't I didn't see that in me. They took me out of my comfort zone, put me in front. And I remember I still remember the first day I was there. Like, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. How do I talk to people? Mm -hmm. And for about a year and a half there, um, I got really comfortable doing it. Um, my mom's business was kind of stagnant, and she wasn't really interested anymore. You know, she does the the horse range. Yeah. So uh, I ended up getting an opportunity to take over her property management division, which is a lot of investors, and uh, we worked with them. And with uh, running the houses out, um, we got to meet a lot of people that would like to buy but couldn't. Mm -hmm. And that's where we started, you know, becoming experts in first-time home buyers. Mm -hmm. And that was about six years ago now. Um, so a lot of those are repeat customers now. We don't just do first-time home buyers anymore, but. Um, a lot of them have turned into, in that three or five year window, they turned into repeat customers. And that's pretty much how I am where I am. You know, just being personable, honest with people. And um, I haven't really known any other way than to be my own broker or 
My mom was in America for a while to see why we were getting started. But. Yeah, and I think that's what's fascinating about your story. You are this very strange breed, if you will, of realtor who um, started, you know, your mom was a broker of her own business and you had your license in there. Mm -hmm. And then the moment you decided you wanted to transition into the home sales and listing full time, you opened your own brokerage. So mm -hmm. essentially, you kind of started opening your own brokerage. Um, I don't so, know much other way. Yeah, so you don't know any other way, which is pretty cool. I do know another way, yeah. so that's why I wanted to quiz you about this. Um, I think someone listening to this right now is thinking, well, I did you know eight or $10 million in sale last year, sold 40 homes. I've thought about this, but you know, one thing that you might be surprised to hear or not is that in, in a lot of real estate companies, in a lot of real estate circles, when you talk to people, about being brokers, people will always default to it's too much money, it's too high of a financial commitment, it's too much liability, it's too much responsibility. Liability is the one I hear the most. Okay. Yeah, and so tell me a little, walk me a little bit through that. Like, so what's your day to day look like? Um, and so what I want to try to establish is if someone's listening to this, they understand what their day to day looks like. I want them to be able to compare with what your day to day looks like. Well, pretty traditional to what most realtors are, to be honest. I come in the office at 9 a.m., I follow up with my leads, because I'm an active uh, broker. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a, I still do the traditional real estate yeah. um, game. Um, obviously, I have intentions of growing it later, but as of right now, it's really, I'm my own boss, mm -hmm. I set my own schedule, I've gotta be self-motivated, because mm -hmm. no, there's no broker telling me to come to a meeting at Wednesday at 9 sure. and get me to, jump up and down and get motivated to call 100 people. Sure. Um, I do what works for me. Obviously, I've learned over time. Um, you know, uh, as you know, Facebook's a big, a big part of my business and that's what I'm comfortable with, that's what I do. But to be honest, the liability side is, yes, I gotta make sure my license is up to date. Any agents that are under me, I've gotta make sure their licenses are up to date and they're not getting in trouble and you know things like that. But um, honestly, to me, I don't know much different so it doesn't, I couldn't really compare it, but I feel like I'm just really an agent that is in control of myself and everything that I spend my money on. If I want to redecorate my office, I know I had a good month, I can redecorate my office. I don't have to follow a code or rules or... Or a protocol, a specific yeah, protocol. Yeah, yeah. And so I hear you say that, and so I want to get a little bit more detail if you don't mind. So if you are in your average brokerage so you know I, we have to talk in generalities and averages to be able to have constructive conversation right, of course right. um, there's always exceptions to every rule but on your your average brokerage if you are selling eight to ten million bucks a year you are probably paying your brokerage between transaction fees and your cap and monthly fees let's just call it thirty thousand dollars a year i think that's a pretty roundabout number and i know this because i've been in this company right. so i can right. i can do the math um and so if someone is at that production, do you think they would save money or would they be coming out of pocket additionally to have the ability to be their own broker? And obviously there's a lot of irony. Yeah. We're just speaking strictly from you. If you're just talking about money-wise and the person isn't going to lose business by leaving their broker and things like that, if they're dependent on their broker, they may not do eight to 10 million if they right. do their own brokerage. So that there's a variable there. But if you make the same amount working for yourself, I, there's no doubt in my mind that you'd be able to save money for sure. Um, I think I've told you this before, but 
my we just got this office so this is a little bit bigger office than what i need personally mm-hmm. but we are looking to grow my advertising budget along with my uh my rent last year like i told you started doing my taxes and uh i can tell you that that's less than thirty thousand. so my entire advertising budget for the year my entire lease for the year and, and you see my office is sure capable of holding quite a few agents if it needs to um would be less than that and that would be a something that you wouldn't have at a brokerage you're paying for you know not to have the liability um obviously support if you need it mm-hmm. and Compared to what you would have here, I don't know if they would spend that kind of money on advertising for you. Um, so I'm sure you could generate more leads with that kind of money. We pay our own advertising. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you could definitely generate a lot of leads with over $1,000 a month of, in your pocket. Yeah. As well as, you know, having your own space and to call your own. So I'm sure you could save a lot of money or use it in different ways to become more productive. Yeah, I mean, and that's... I think that's the really cool part about what you're doing. You haven't even, because you're a producing agent, mm-hmm. you haven't even tapped into the other avenues in which to generate revenue, which is you know marketing, marketing service agreements with vendors mm-hmm. or having agents under you. Starting um, to. Those agents that don't want to be a broker, that, right. um, that want to be under someone like you that are willing to pay up a little bit just so that they don't have to deal with writing a check to the landlord. Right. And and and, they're, and that's true. Yeah. And, and that's very valid. I mean, someone mm-hmm. may just don't want to do that, and that's okay. Right. Also, right. Um, you mentioned Facebook as being one of the um, the tools that you use strategically mm-hmm. in your business. And a while back, I don't know if it was a Facebook post or a conversation, but I saw you say something like Facebook was your CRM or was becoming your CRM, and other people jumping down your throat on this because. Um, because I guess change scares people sometimes. Um, So I just kind of want to hear how you use social media. Um, For those people watching this right now, I want them to go to your page. So look, Matthew Wheatley, First Homes, you have one of the strongest, if not the strongest social media presence for for any real estate agent in the area. And this is you, right? You're wearing... Yeah. the marketing hat when it comes to that tell me it's a little all, bit about how you use it it's all very personal and you can tell that because it's from me mm-hmm. um, we do pay for Facebook ads um, but most of our stuff is organic so if we have a closing or you know a success story or something we would like to make sure I don't want to stop you but when you say you pay for Facebook ads can you dive a little bit deeper on that and tell me you know how that works so with Facebook they, they change it a lot um, so we do target our general area and mm-hmm. we'll set, you know, um, we sold this house for X amount of dollars or if you're looking to sell your home, now's a great time. We come up with a lot of video content, things like that. And we target people that are likely to move. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest success rate we have is with our organic reach. And mm-hmm. that kind of goes back to the Facebook is your CRM. Your CRM is there to reach your sphere and your past clients. Well, if your sphere and your past clients are in Facebook, you already, you know, every time you make a post, if you can get it in front of them, um, you are essentially what they teach you is, you know, touches. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to email them, or nobody wants to read a long paragraph in an email. Um, that's what they're starting to do video email. But you essentially can share your personal life and kind of connect the personal aspect to your business. Through Facebook, and it's definitely um, like, for example, I'll have people that contact me out of the blue I haven't talked to in four or five years. Hey, man, we're ready to buy a home, or hey, I need to sell my home. 
well, how do we get started? Mm -hmm. And it's, you don't really necessarily see the ROI right away. And then not a lot of agents focus on that. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, I'll spend a hundred dollars here and see what I get back. See how many leads I get. Mm -hmm. Um, these people are just people I know that when they're ready, they think of me because they see me on a daily basis being active. And don't get me wrong, some people I've had tell me in person, I see you everywhere. I almost had to hide you. <laughs> so there is a fine line there, but I, I think that it, it's more beneficial than not. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think one of the interesting things in our industry is when you say Facebook is becoming your CRM, people, people that don't have that same opinion of or never thought of it, they automatically get defensive and they they just think like, oh, look at this young kid trying to change the way the industry is made. But if we go back 20 years, mm -hmm. a CRM was an Excel spreadsheet that you manually had to maintain because we there wasn't, have internet. we didn't have, <laughs> you know, uh, um, this broad experience with yeah. the internet. Right. Um, if you go 10 years ago, um, your CRM is more of the software that you maintain and you add and, and it's you know, it might be maintained in a cloud somewhere, mm -hmm. but you use it, you know, for the purposes of being able to print labels for a mailer or whatnot. Right. But, but I think as we move forward, if the focus of the CRM is to keep in touch with those people that you've done business with or you wish to do business with in the future, what better than Facebook? I mean, I don't check my mail every day. But I check my Facebook ten times a day. That's the reality. I mean, yeah. that's most people. And a lot of people do. Yeah. And most people would agree with that. So I think there is that is a huge opportunity that a lot of agents are missing. Um, tell me when you're using the social media. You said obviously there's not an immediate return because hardly anything right. in our industry that's real has an immediate return. Of you put a hundred dollars and you get two hundred dollars out. But um, in social media, have you seen? someone message you out of the blue? Have you seen someone convert from a post specifically to a transaction where you can track that back and say, this post generated this deal as opposed to, well, this post kind of put it to the forefront, but this was someone that was going to do business with me regardless. I have, yeah, both paid and organic. Um, I've told you before, the organic is definitely a better conversion rate because mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not shopping people. They mm -hmm. seek you out. Um, but yeah, I've had paid ads that have said, hey, you know, I want to sell my home and I've had to go and compete and, and, and ultimately win the listing. So I can track that. But my probably the biggest success story that I can explain to anyone that's listening here would be um, I went to a closing. It was 100% mm -hmm. a, a USDA financing buyer like most of ours are. Um, and then I think three or four years ago, that was almost all of our market. And, you know, I put up the post with, you know, hey, Congratulations to so and so. We helped them, you know, get into a home with no money down um, and had to sell it, pay their closing costs. It cost them this much total out of pocket, you know, and, and kind of just told people, hey, this is possible. Because mm -hmm. I still get that to this day that, you know, zero down loans aren't possible mm -hmm. or they think it's a scam. And as I'm driving back, I get a phone call. Uh, this was out in Maitland, so it was now a long drive. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I talked to this lady for about half an hour. And she called and said, hey, you know, I, I want to do that. And sure enough, we got her approved and she did that. So it was, it was as I'm driving out of her closing, starting the process with another one just from an organic Facebook post. It wasn't boosted or... Paid. You know, and, and I think that the, the thing that's really cool about hearing that story is um, we had this conversation. And so 
you know, one of the really bad things of, of our industry when you're in an office with a bunch of people is they turn into echo chambers. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same opinion being bounced off the walls. It's very difficult to find someone with differing opinions a lot of times. And so I kind of got in this idea that maybe I was not going to be doing any more closing pictures because it, they seem a little bit uh, like I'm bragging, you know, right. like, look at me, I did this closing, you know, like, and that's, you know, that's the congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Smith on your new home. Mm -hmm. um, and then you told me this story and I'm like, well, what's different? And what's different is that you're putting the whole story behind it. Right. And every transaction has a story, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, they do. Yep. Yeah. And so when you write the whole story, people connect to the story. So, you know, I went from... I don't think I want to do this anymore to I'm going to modify the way that I do this mm -hmm. simply by having this type of conversation, this sort of collaboration effort where we um, bounce ideas from each other. Um, when you are using social media, are you doing any outsourcing for, I know you said you do some pay advertisement, right. but do you do any outsourcing for content as well? One thing I want to touch on before we move to that sure. is um, with the congratulations posts a lot of them that don't see good results or maybe get the you know all oh, that guy's just you know bragging it's mm -hmm. all about them it's about the agent what they did it's not about the client and what they did so I think that makes a huge difference and I mean that's it's the way I'm wired but now that we're talking about it and we've discussed it it's kind of that would make sense to me that if you're making it about them and it's not so much about you people can relate to that more. Yeah, and and that's that ego thing that's in yeah. our industry, yeah, and it's, it it's rampant. And, you know, what you're talking about is the, the post that sometimes people will do that say, congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Smith on their closing. That was the most difficult closing that only came, to get, came together because I did this and I did that. And, you know, and so maybe, yeah, people are looking at that and rolling their eyes going, okay, you're awesome, we got yeah. it. Um, I think... You know, when when you're talking about that ego part, another thing that, that is it's worth mentioning is one of the reasons I came up with this idea of talking to other agents. You know, there's no sponsors here, there's no one paying for this, there's no script, there's no ulterior motive, there's no theme, you know, of the talk. It's just a long form conversation where people can really get to know how you run your business and and understand and take things from it and hopefully and better themselves too. Sure. And the reason that came about is we did a transaction together. Mm -hmm. So I had the seller and you had the buyer. And, and I believe you had problems with the last agent on that one too. I had severe <laughs> problems with the last agent um, before that. Yeah. And when you came around and you wrote the offer, you know, we obviously know, knew each other, but it was a really good experience for me as an agent. And, I'm very smooth, yeah. And so I made a Facebook post unbeknownst or, or you know, right. unplanned. Not paid by I, me. Not paid by him, <laughs> where I said, you know, I did this transaction with Matt and it was an absolute pleasure. It was from beginning to end, an incredible transaction. Um, and I just did that and it got all this response. So everybody overwhelmed, it's like liking it, loving it, yep, like yes. every emotion, you know, possible and writing comments. And so that started getting me to think about doing this type of stuff because I think if we did more of that, we reinforced each other, the mm -hmm. good agents better, that would be really crucial to be able to move our profession into the right direction because you see agents all the time saying, you know, Susie the lender is incredible, she did a good job for me, 
or Johnny the title person is incredible, they did an awesome job for me. But you don't very often, and I don't think I've ever seen it, but um, but I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm sure there's room for error there. You don't very often see an agent say, Hey, I just did this transaction with this other agent and he was awesome. Right. I mean, take into consideration I'm when I'm posting this is on my personal page mm-hmm. where my clients are and I'm saying yeah. this guy it's really stand up. Um, but I think what it does a lot of times is there might be an agent reading that on my page that doesn't know you, that gets an offer from you tomorrow mm-hmm. and goes, you know what, I've heard about this Matthew guy, he is pretty awesome yeah. and that will help you and help your clients. So maybe we should do more of that, you know. Um, we should. Yeah, and it's, it's the same with, you know, when you have a good experience with a lender, you're more willing to, if you see an offer come through and you know the lender, um, you're excited because you know you're not going to get let down or... Um, and it's the same with both. And if if we as agents end up treating each other a little bit better and, and doing that rather than being cutthroat and competitive, um, I know we have to be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. But if we end up respecting each other and, and we're all in this together to bring the deal together, um, I think that it will go a lot further that way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, when When we're talking about this, one of the things that always stands out when I talk to agents is, you know, we we like to very, get very emotional or very upset when a customer doesn't make a decision that's in their best interest. Right. And so there's kind of a natural instinct by agents to say, oh man, you shouldn't have done that. You lost five grand, you lost 10 mm-hmm. grand, or, you know, you're going through all this hardship because of it. And, you know, so one of the things that we want to talk about is how do we help consumers make better decisions when they're doing real estate transactions? Right. Um, and one of the things that I want to talk to talk, talk with you about is this whole iBuyer thing, the iBuyer mm-hmm. movement. So if you don't know what an iBuyer is, <laughs> this is probably a good time for you to pause this video, Google iBuyers, and then get right back to it. Um, but basically iBuyers are these companies um, that are in the business of investing in real estate. They're buying hundreds, if not thousands of properties mm-hmm. uh, to go ahead and resell them. And so they will send an offer to people on the mail. They'll send an offer to people via email. They'll target them based on their Facebook searches. They'll have radio advertising men that, um, that from someone that's in the industry sounds a little deceptive because it's almost like a best of all worlds type mm-hmm. scenario, which there's not such a thing. And and you've sort of been in the tip of the spear, you know, speaking out about this, as have I. Right. And can you tell me a little bit about what your experience with the whole iBuyer thing is and your customers and your outcomes? Well, what I started doing last year is I wanted to kind of get in depth as to how they structure their fees. Um, what, how much they actually save you with convenience is what they tell you, um, and how their fees compare to a traditional real estate company. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year, I think out of 14 of the homes we sold, we were able to get, because as an agent, you're allowed to ask, submit for an offer, because they're a buyer. Right. Um, so we, I actually went on all my listings that were eligible, because some of them are not. Um, if there's new construction in the area or the lot's too big right now, they won't buy it. But I went online and I think nine of them I was able to get offers for and I mm-hmm. saved them. I you know, went through everything and did my research on you know, how they cover title insurance, for example, because they own their title company. And um, 
I went through all that and I, and I just I ran a seller net sheet on both sides once the deal had closed. So I didn't run it on a projected sale price mm-hmm. like they had given. Um, and I, you know, I took all repairs into consideration on when I closed the deal. And, uh, and obviously I didn't know what they were gonna ask for repairs, but we know that they're pretty crafty when it comes to sure. getting some extra money out of it. But the bottom line was out of the nine, it averaged to be about 14,000 in savings. It was going all the way from 30 plus to, I think the lowest is like 8,000 for a, like a low $200,000 home. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that we really wanna um, emphasize in here is when someone gets an offer from an iBuyer, um, there's the offer price, and the generally, this is the part that I don't like. So if you wanna go out and buy houses and flip them yeah. for a discount, that's capitalism. Yeah, and it's happened for I am, <laughs> my heart is there, like go buy something for less and, 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 and sell it for more. Right. The problem that I start having with it is when you send someone an offer and you say, this is what you can get from us and this is what you would get otherwise. And so right. now you're making some- Generalizing. Yeah, you're making some really um, harsh assumptions about what this process would be like with an eight, you know, an, an average agent, which there's no such a thing as an average right. agent. Right. And so the price of the offer generally is below what the market value is, yes? Right. Okay. Um, then their fees that they charge, you know, they say like no real estate commissions a lot of times, but they'll charge like a 7% experience fee or they, you know, they have different names for it, but they'll charge a 6 7% fee in there to the seller. What I noticed, speaking on that too, is if you had it already listed with an agent, like when I submitted it, they basically copied the fee that I had. So they were making the fee the same and then telling the seller, if you wanna pay your agent, it's extra. But they would take the, if you were to list a home and sell it, so you have the, if you list it and have the buyer, they are taking the fee altogether. Yeah. As listing and, and they call part of it a holdover fee, part of it a buyer fee. Um, so that's what I noticed with that. What I noticed if it was outside of that, it was actually a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if your real estate commission was X and then you're, you know, there, they were in more of the six to seven, eight percent range. So quite a bit higher than if it was from a listing. Yeah. And, and if someone is listening to this that received one of these offers, I want you to pay attention to a few things. So there's going to be the price so that you're losing money there. Right. Then there's the fee. You're more than likely losing money there. And then through the process, like when they do inspections, they're going to come back and likely hit you up for uh, credit for the, you know, like let's say the house has a roof. Like they said, well, the house needs a new roof. You got to, you know, give us a $7,000 or a $10,000 credit for that. And at that point, you're, you're a seller and you're kind of under contract already and it's kind of a take it or leave it situation. So you end up agreeing to that. And you don't want um, to start the process over with a realtor because you think it's going to take longer. And you think it's going to net you less yeah. money. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end, you start, you leave money on the table with the offer amount, you leave money on the table with the fees, and you're more than likely going to leave money on the table with the repairs. Yep. Because here's the difference. No self-respecting real estate agent who um, who really has their client's best interest at heart is going to counsel a seller to pay any and all repairs that a buyer right. requests. Right. Um, and they're assuming that in their offers they put in 
they're, what is the, you're talking about the typical agent, they say your typical transaction will take 60 days and they, yeah, you know, they skew those numbers however they want. And then they take it and say, um, you know, the typical transaction has this much seller concessions and they take that out of the price mm -hmm. that they're giving you, but their typical transaction has a lot more in concessions as far as the seller credit because they always ask for something. Yeah. If you buy the resale home, they're going to ask for something. And I've seen them itemized, you know, up to 15,000 that they want. And it's, it's, it's deceptive in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, they're getting people with the fair market value, the way that's their word is fair market value. I've done a video on that before that fair is to them. What is not to others. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I think someone listening to this, that gets one of these offers, what they, what they should take from it is, Listen, go ahead and get an offer from them, but then just meet with a reputable real estate agent that, by the way, understands how these companies operate right. and can give you a side-by-side -side comparison of what, you know, not just what they're telling you should be like, but what it really would be like. Someone with local market knowledge that can tell you, hey, you know what, that's a pretty good offer, which, by the way, I'd be happy to do. I'd be happy to tell someone, you know what, that's a good offer, go ahead and take it. But also, I'd be happy to tell someone, hey, this is leaving $10,000 on the table. More often than not, it's, it's that. It's a, it, there's some money on the table. Like I said, if it's in the client's best interest and they have to move in a pinch or they have a new build that's ready, a lot of times people don't want the uncertainty mm -hmm. of uh, you know, that kind of contract. I'll sit down and talk to them and say, hey, look, if it's worth the $10,000, $15,000 inconvenience, we can look into that, but sure. most of the time, if we price it aggressively, we can sell it in two days and and get you a little bit more, and you don't have to worry about you know as much of that stuff. Yeah, and so a there's lot, a lot of other options. A, a lot of times, people have this misconception that equity is some abstract thing, and so someone this drives me crazy, by the way, too, with real estate agents during a negotiation. They're like, I mean, it's just five thousand dollars. I mean, five thousand dollars is a lot of money. Don't spend your client's money, right? And so, the equity that you're losing is not make believe money, it's right. real money that's yours that you're not physically writing a check for, but maybe you should so that you could feel the pain of what that money is that's leading. Yeah, if, if you did, it'd be a lot different, it'd be a lot. You would definitely talk to multiple people if you had to write a check for an expense, right? Of course. So if just because you don't know exactly where your equity is doesn't mean you shouldn't look at it. Of course. And if you can talk with two different agents and they can give you two different things, and then you can go to a, you know an eye buyer and, and ask them this. Money somehow not using a realtor. I mean, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's the deceptive part that really is aggravating to us as agents because you know we're very real with what they are offering. Right. And there's no deceptive in any of my advertising. I, I run all the numbers the way I can um, and let people know this is how much more we got. This is how long it took. There's no make believe or averaging numbers or anything like that and actually the savings would probably be more because like you said they usually have a repair um, request that they end up pinching people with and when they do that I, I'm, I don't know how much that will be because I'm working with the client um, so my numbers are very moderate uh, they probably actually would be higher if they actually went through with it yeah and 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 I think that's the lesson from this is mm -hmm. it's 
we're not against an investor wanting to buy a house. We work with them. You know, <laughs> we work with them all the time. We just, we're trying to bring a little bit of education to the general public as to some of these tactics being used are not exactly um, upfront. Because and, we don't have hundreds of millions for radio advertisements. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, when you say to someone, you, you don't have to, you know, there's no inconvenience, there's no this, there's not that. Well, um, it, it sounds great and it can be great, but there's another side to that and you should always explore that other side for sure. Um, we just did over 30 minutes here. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, I hope people really get something out of it. I know I did, um, and hopefully so we can do it again. Yeah, for sure. Thank, thank you so much, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course.